to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. start a new study today and we're going to pick up in the book of Galatians. Now just a little bit of history to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians is an epistle that Paul wrote to a few different churches. Now there were various churches up in the Asia Minor area in the modern day Turkey area is where it really is where Paul will start many of these churches. He'll start about four churches, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, uh, Lystra. And, and so these are churches that Paul starts up there. And if you have done much studying uh, in the book of Acts, you'll know that Paul, he took off and went with, uh, with uh, in his first missionary journey, he went off with the son of encouragement, Mr. Barnabas. You remember Barnabas? And also uh, Barnabas... Uh, his his nephew was John Mark, right? Or it was his cousin. It was a nephew or cousin. I can't remember. But but John Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And then when it got really hot and heavy, uh, and and Paul was taken out of the you know he, it started getting really bad. It, when when it it became so hot and heavy, John Mark says, "Hey, this is crazy. This is nuts. I don't like this this." pressure. I don't like the, the tribulation. I don't like the trials that we're coming under. I don't like the, the persecution that we're having to endure. And so Paul uh, kind of said, you know, don't, don't take off John Mark. Come on, hang out, man. Stay with us and be with us. And John Mark chooses to go home. And you remember it was, you know, the next missionary journey that John Mark wanted to go with him again. And Paul says, no, nope, that ain't happening. You're not going to go with us this time. And there was a, a contention between Barnabas and, and, and Paul. Yeah, there was a contention between two Christians in, in Scripture. And, and so they decided, hey, I'm not going to go with you. You don't go with me. And so Paul ended up going with another fellow by the name of Silas. Barnabas ended up going with his nephew or cousin, uh, John Mark. And so they actually had two different missionary journeys that they went off on. But Paul went on the same exact kind of tra- trail that he went on before to go back and encourage the churches that he started. And so Paul, he's writing to this church. And the thing is, is that word is getting to Paul that after he has started these churches, now mind you, these churches are Gentile churches, but there are Jews that are there. All right. There are Jews that are in the area. They're in the cities. And there are temples, or, or not temples, but synagogues, if you will, in these, uh, in these cities where the Jews would, would go and congregate. Well, Paul would go into these places. He would witness to the Jews and he would witness to the Gentiles and, and many people would get saved. Now, you know, people would get saved and a church would be birthed in that area. Now, I don't know if they would go and rent a, a storefront like we have and, and then every Sunday get together like that, but I, I'm going to say they, they did get together often in homes. And they would get together to, to learn and to, to study and to grow and, and to mature and to learn how to grow in the faith together. But mind you that when Paul went, 
it's hard for us to completely wrap our brains around this because Paul, in the days, the apostolic days, they didn't understand church. They didn't understand that that you know that there's a church. What we understand that there's a church on every corner in Sarasota. It seems there's a church. If if something happens in this church and you don't like it, boom, you'll get up and you'll take off and you just go to another church. Not not you. I'm saying that some people will. Some people have many times they've done that. They don't like what I've said or they're offended at something that I've done or or I've I've done something wrong and. Sometimes it's probably correct, you know, that they, you know, I've done something to offend. Maybe I'll, I'll go and I'll apologize, but it's not enough and they'll go to another church. And here's the thing. But maybe, maybe sometimes I've tried to speak into their life and, and they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. And they'll combat that and they'll, they'll, they'll receive it maybe for a second and then the next week you don't see them, you know, uh, one of the things that I've learned at, you know, in ministry is that is that when I have a family that comes in and says, "Hey, I just want to let you know. I just want to I just want to I just want to sit down for just just a second. Can I just have a couple minutes of your time? I just want you to know my family and I we we have decided we're going to stay here. We're here. We're here. We're going to be with you. This is our church. We're going to be here. And when I hear that, I'm going, "Man, they're going to be gone in a month <laughs> because they've had this family conversation at home and they're, they're arguing over whether or not they're going to stay or not. And, and somebody put their foot down and said, we're going to stay. And then, but when they get to that point, it's, 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 it sometimes doesn't work, you know, and, and it's sad when you, so don't, I guess that kind of gives you a little clue. Don't come and tell me that you're going to be a part of our church for a long time, you know. Just if you, you know, it, that's that's a hard thing when you see, you know. Um, and there's a lot of those kinds of stories from many other pastors, you know. Uh, I remember hearing a pastor, James McDonald, saying one time that what he does, you know, when some people come into his church and say, here's the thing, we're going to be a part of your church because we were a ch- part of this other church for 15 years. And this is what happened over there. And this is what we're going on. And this is what, and, you know, has caused us to take a step up and come out. And James McDonald says, I very, you know, demonstrably, you understand what that word means. I don't know if that's even a word, but you understand it, right? He begins to play with his watch and he goes, and I don't even wear a watch. I act like I'm playing with my watch. And and I just listen to him. I listen to him and I, I make a lot of facial expressions. I'm very dramatic when they're talking to me. And finally, I do it to a point where I'm forcing them to ask me the question, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm just adjusting the watch to, to figure out what time, at, at what time is it that I'm going to offend you and you're going to leave my church too. You know what? Here, I don't want you to not come to our church, but I want you to not come to this church until you go back to that church and make it right with that pastor. And when he says, you have my blessings to go, come on back, I'd love to have you. But know this, there's not a perfect pastor out there. And, and so, so Paul, he has this situation. Can you imagine? We have this, this idea that, hey, if I don't like it here, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go somewhere else. And, and, and that is actually a kind of a detriment to the church. And I think that's kind of hurt the church a bit. Because what it does is it, it doesn't, it, 
it doesn't allow us to grow and mature together at times. And what it does is it, it just it causes at times weak Christians and sometimes weak pastors. Because then pastors, especially at small churches, I try not to allow that to affect me. And I think I've done pretty well on that, I think, because we haven't grown tremendously. But here's the thing. I don't want to start speaking to the congregation to keep you. That's not my job. My job isn't to keep you here. My job is to speak the word of God and whether or not you like it or you don't, don't blame the messenger. Blame, you know, blame Blame the Lord. I mean, don't get mad at me. Get mad at God. If what I'm saying is wrong, present it to me and we'll deal with that. But if I'm not saying anything wrong, if, if, if you don't like to interpret you know, Scripture this way, I, I, and, and, but it's contradictory the way that you like to interpret Scripture, then somebody has a problem. It's not me that has that problem. It's you. If you're trying to contradict Scripture with Scripture in order to maintain the lifestyle that you have. And, and, and so, so the thing is, is that I, I see that there are pastors that will placate to the congregation. And that's not what a pastor is supposed to be. A pastor is supposed to be, he's supposed to love the flock. My goodness, yes. He's supposed to love the flock and lay down his life for a flock. He, he's... But, but a part of that, as a, as a good shepherd, is, is to root out heresy, is to root out bad doctrine, is to root out anything that would contradict God's holy word. And if that is against the popular belief, so be it. Deal with the losses in the church as they leave because they don't like what you say. Deal with that. They were never yours. I've been accused of not chasing after sheep. I don't chase after sheep. They're, I just want you to know, you're not mine. You belong to Jesus. If he wants to move you to a different flock, I, it bums me out at times. It hurts my heart. But you know what? That's not for me. That's, that's me holding on to something that's not mine. You belong to him. My job is to open up the word of God and to articulate it. And sometimes I'm going to step on toes. And sometimes you're going to step on my toes. And sometimes we're going to get, you know, irritated at one another. We're going to have a conflict. But you know what? I look at a family and I think, you know, I do that with my family. All growing up, I've had conflict. But you know what? I still have brothers and I still have a sister and I still have a mom and a dad. And now I have a a wife. And I have her family. And well, we might not always agree the one thing that is always underlying is that we love each other and we're not going anywhere. And so we, we, we work it out. We work it out. Why am I saying all this? It's because I think that the church has become weak in some instances because we have a plethora of other churches to run to. And I think that that can be damaging. But know this. That's... That's what we're used to. That's, that's our modern day church that we have. We have so many different avenues and so many different flavors of churches. So many different points of emphasis upon those churches. And that's what we're used to. And that's what we know. But back in this day, there was one church in town. 
And if you chose to leave that church, there wasn't another church to go to. So you either had to deal with it. You had to deal with it with the Lord. Paul actually, you know, as we've gone through First and Second Corinthians, he says, man, don't keep treating this guy like an outsider. Minister to this guy who sinned, lest he become overcome with sorrow. And, 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 and just his life be destroyed. Don't, that's not the purpose. The purpose is to show him his failure or to show him his sin and show him his weakness and show him this area of his life that's, that's in opposition to God and remove him from that, from the body, because that's a cancer. And it's a very tricky thing, this cancer thing, and removing people from, from a, a congregation. And it's not a fun thing to do as a pastor. But sometimes that has to happen. Sometimes it happens. It hasn't had to happen to us a lot. But there have been times where you actually have to say, you know what, you're not welcome back to this place until this is an area of your life that you get under control. I tell the story of a fellow that was here a long time ago. None of you all know it who a couple of deacons in my church had been ministering to this guy, and he came to me and he was angry. And he, and he, he, he said to me, you know, these guys, they keep coming to me and they're talking to me about my life. They're talking to me about my, my, my personal life, and I, I want them to get their nose out of it. And I said, well, what's going on? What's, what are they talking to you about? Well, they're saying that I'm living in sin. Oh, why would they say that? They're saying that because I live with two women, that I'm in sin. And, you know, they're, they're assuming that I'm sleeping with them and that I'm doing this kind of stuff. And you know what? They, they don't even know. They don't even know. And, and, and here it is. I'm walking with the Lord. I've got a great walk with the Lord. And I, I, I asked the fellow, I said, but is any of it true? Are you sleeping with these women? That's not the point. It's not. You found the loophole? You found the loophole in purity before the Lord. And you want to teach kids here? No, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Oh, now you're going to jump on that bandwagon. You're going to jump on that. I said, my friend, listen, if this is your lifestyle, it's in absolute direct contradiction to what the Word of God says. You need to deal with this, man. Let me pray with you. I don't need prayer. I don't need prayer. I am happy. And I believe that God is blessing me. And I believe that God is going to be, is, is fine with me in the condition and the relationships that I have. With you sleeping with these girls? Yes! It's okay. I said, it's not okay here. It's not okay here. You, you can't have that kind of mentality. You've, you've been a Christian for a long time, man. How did this seep in? Well, I'm not changing. I said, well, then you, you, I'm sorry, but you need to go. You need to find a church that's going to allow you to do something like that. And hopefully you won't find one. But this isn't the church that's going to, I can't do that. I can't watch you continue to put a knife to your throat and slit your throat. I, I'm not, I love you too much for that, my friend. You're kicking me out of church because I'm sleeping with girls? I am. I'm sorry. It's not because you're a sinner. It's because 
You're arrogantly sinning. And you're doing it and you're saying that God is okay with it. And I've shown you, and I, I spent a lot of time with him. This wasn't just a quick conversation. I showed him in scripture and pointed it out. He goes, yeah, well, you read that differently than I do. I said, well, then that's how I teach. And so I don't even know why you'd even want to be here anyways. But you know what? Until you get this thing corrected in your life, you're no longer welcome back here. And I said that through tears because I, I never want to bring somebody like that into that kind of a conversation. And he took off. And I didn't see him for years. I ended up seeing him at a conference Actually, in St. Petersburg, uh, I think it was St. Petersburg, it might have been Merritt Island, um, at a conference, probably four years later. And he came up to me and he apologized. I thought, well, how come you're apologizing? What's, what's going on? What happened? He goes, I was an idiot. I was an idiot. I was living absolute in sin. And I was going, and, and he began to share all the things that happened to his life. He actually spent about two years in jail. And, and he says, I was spiraling out of control. And I didn't want anybody to tell me what I should be doing in my life. I didn't want anybody to speak into my life. I was tired of all of that stuff. And all that I found out was that what I was doing is I was running away from the Lord. And I was a fool. And I want to I just come before you. And I want to humbly come and say, I'm so sorry. I was wrong. I hugged him. I said, man. He goes, I'm back. I'm back. I'm, I, I know I don't live over in your area, but man, I'm a part of this church. It was either Calvary St. Pete or he was over at Calvary Merritt Island at the time. It was one of those conferences that we were at. He goes, I'm actively here. And man, I'm walking with the Lord again. And, and just thank you for not compromising with me because you bothered me the whole time that I was away from the Lord. You and your conversation. I'm thinking, wow, that's awesome. Praise the Lord. God, did, I, not that I put a burr under this guy's saddle, but hey, if that's the case, we've got a brother that's going to be in heaven. He's going to be walking with the, strong with the Lord. Here's the thing. You can run to another church when you don't like what happens. They couldn't back in this day. In the churches of Galatia, they couldn't. And what was happening is that because there was only one game in town, there was only one church in town, when certain people would get saved, they would go to these, to these churches because that's where everybody else congregated. Well, what ended up happening is that some of the Jews were starting to get saved in these towns. And these Jews were, were having a hard time reconciling this understanding of the law that Moses gave. And now this newfound grace that is afforded to mankind through the blood of Jesus Christ and his death and burial and resurrection and that through his blood, through his stripes we are healed. Through his blood we are cleansed. And, and, and through, through him and that sacrifice and this grace that is afforded to us and if you go through and you look at Paul writes 13 books in uh, the New Testament, here's the thing. If you go through all of Paul's writings, you're going to find that Paul uses the word grace well more than 100 times. Uh, of all of the other books in the New Testament, all of them combined, it, it uses the word grace 50, less than 50. Paul was a preacher of grace. Why? Because Paul was a man who was steeped in the law, very deeply rooted in the law. 
until he was knocked off his high horse. And he had this arrogant pride, spiritual pride. He had this arrogant spiritual pride that he knew exactly what God wanted. And when Jesus came on the scene, that infuriated a man like Paul. So much so that Paul would receive letters from his authorities in order to go and root out any Christians out there that were espousing Jesus Christ to the point of dragging them out in chains and putting them in prison or having them whipped or stoned or killed. And when you say stoned, it was death by stoning. Paul had the authority to do that. You remember it was Stephen that he was doing it to? At one time, we find that in Acts chapter 7, don't we? When Stephen was witnessing before these religious rulers of all the religious rulers, what did they do? When they got to the point where Stephen had shared with them this whole history of the law and then of grace and Christ, when it came to Christ, when he came to the grace, they began to get mad at him. They, they, they tolerated him all the while that he was speaking of history in the New Testament. That the moment that he began to step out of the Old Testament and say, this is the fulfillment of, in the person of Jesus Christ, that's when they began to get very angry. They began to gnash at their teeth. I don't even know what that looks like, but I think it's, it sounds bad, doesn't it? I don't know. I don't know what that means. But it sounds bad. And Stephen is like, he didn't, he, he didn't sugarcoat anything. You find in, seven, in Acts chapter 7, verse 50, I think it's 51. You know, Stephen says, you uncircumcised in heart. And he, he, No, no, let me just paraphrase what he says. Kill me now because I'm going to offend you greatly. <laughs> That's what I think what he said. I'm about to offend you really, really, really greatly. And this is what you killed Jesus for. You're going you're gonna to kill me too right now. So what I'm saying to you, go ahead and kill me. Because that's what he was saying. You stiff-necked in heart and ears. Which of the prophets didn't you kill? Which of our fathers didn't you turn away from? Every single man that God sent to you, you either killed them, you ostracized them, you stoned them, you, you, you put them out. You had nothing to do with them. And you sit here high and holy in your position. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. And they really didn't take too kindly to this uneducated man's words. And they looked over at Paul and they said, it's time to throw stones at this guy. And Paul gave the nod and they all took their coats off and laid their coats down at Paul's feet, thus signifying the authority that Paul had to grant people to pick up stones and kill someone. And so they lay all their stones down at Paul's feet. Well, his name was Saul at the time, wasn't it? And, and, and they, they lay them down there and Saul is sitting there and he feels very arrogantly proud in his heart that he is doing a service for the Lord as he sees this man being stoned to death on behalf of Christ. And to make add insult to injury 
he's being stoned and he's being beaten with these stones. And he says, look. He stands up and he says, look. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of the Father. Thereby, thereby even, even supporting his, his, his teaching to these religious rulers that Jesus is not in the grave. His tomb is empty and you all know it's empty. I know where he is. He's standing right next to the Father. <laughs> He's standing there. And they throw the stones at him even all the more to try to shut him up. The last thing he, they, that Paul hears out of Stephen's mouth is, Father, do not lay this charge against them. And, and that, I think that threw, that threw Saul. How can this guy die for what he believes in? I mean, this guy believed what he said. And, and that's something that not on Saul for the rest of his life even after he got saved. But God had to knock Saul in his arrogant pride, religious pride. He had to knock him off the horse on his way to Damascus to continue to do what he just did to Stephen. But God saved his life. God saved his life. He saved his soul. Everything that Saul had ever learned in the Old Testament he, he's sitting there and he's, it's now, it's starting to, to connect the dots. All the dots that I couldn't connect in scripture, they all had to be connected. I, I do this when I talk about Saul and his conversion. Because I think it's apropos. I think that, I think that Saul, I, I like to use this illustration that, that Saul is like that little kid Let's think of Camden. Camden is just a, he just, you know, runs and just goes and goes and goes, you know, and he's just, he's just determined to get somewhere, you know, and he puts his head and he's just going to go. Well, if you or I am around Camden and you see that he's about to run into something that's going to hurt him, well, hopefully you and I will reach down and right before he hits, we'll stop him and pick him up out of his tracks. But just like any other little kid, his legs don't stop, right? And, and, and you pick him up and you can actually turn him around and set him back down and his legs haven't stopped. And it's like almost leaves that little Bugs Bunny or Roadrunner little poof of smoke behind him as he takes off and goes the other way. That's the picture I get out of Paul. Saul, as he's running so hard and, and, and passionately for God, He's running towards danger. He's running towards something that is going to destroy the message, the purpose of God. And, and I don't see God getting mad at Saul. I don't see Jesus even mad at Saul when he says, Saul, Saul, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. You low-down, dirty crook. He doesn't say that, does he? Jesus doesn't say anything even negative really to Saul. He says, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goats? Now, Paul didn't even have to answer that question because there was, that's a rhetorical question. You know, a rhetorical question, it, it begs the right answer. I mean, it's just there's an obvious answer to it. 
And so Paul didn't even have to answer. He knew what the answer was. Yes, it is hard to kick against these goads. It's hard to kick against these sharp, pointy sticks. I, I think I'm doing the right thing, but I am not finding peace in what I'm doing. That fella that said, God, don't lay this charge against Saul for my death, my brutal death. I, I can't get that out of my head. Who does he think he is to ask you, God, to forgive me for doing this? I was doing this for you. But while I was doing this for you, there was something that wasn't right. Have you ever done that? Have you ever had? Have you ever done something as a Christian that you think you're doing the right thing, but in your spirit you go, I, something isn't right about this. Something's not right about this. You know, it, it's 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 you know, you just know something's not right. I did that as in California many years ago. I was going to Harvest Christian Fellowship, and I'm on my way home. I had to get some gas. I'm getting some gas. Some guy comes up to me and goes, "Hey, man, uh, I, I'm sorry. I don't usually do this, but you see that car over there, and and the woman in the car. Um, that's that's my wife, and I, I got a kid back in there. Hey, my starter blew on the car. It's across the street, and I'm just looking for help, man. I need sixty bucks." I don't know, you have 60 bucks. I mean, I, I, I don't expect you to give it to me, but anything would help. And I'm like, well, I just came from church, man. I, I, I need to help this guy. So in my head, I didn't even pray. I'm thinking, I, uh, I, got, I got at least 60 bucks in my pocket. And so as I reached around to grab a hold of my wallet, I just got this check in my spirit. I'm thinking, uh, nah, I'm going to do it anyways. I'm going to do it anyways. I pull out 60 bucks. And he goes, man, thank you so much. My wife and, and my child and I, we, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this. And I just got this sick feeling in my stomach that something's not right. And I give him the 60 bucks. And Lord, here's the thing. I'm doing it for you. So it's not even really my money. It's yours. I almost feel like the Lord going, yeah, and I told you to keep it in your wallet. Because <laughs> this guy walks across the street, turns around and looks at me, and instead of going towards that car, he just took off running the opposite way. I'm just going, trip, 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 trip him, Lord. You know, and, and you just feel, oh, you just ripped me off. And, and, and so I was doing the right thing, but I had a check in my spirit, and I didn't listen to that check. You ever have those checks in your spirit? Listen to those things. It could be the Holy Spirit directing you. And I think that that's what was going on in Saul. And so Saul, he... He's thinking he's doing everything right for the Lord. But these Christians, especially the Stephen fella, it just isn't sitting right with him. And as he's on his way up to Damascus, no doubt, still thinking, I truly believe that... The reason I say that, he, that Stephen never left him, Paul talks about Stephen three times 
in Scripture, and, and maybe even a fourth. He speaks about the experience that he had with Stephen no less than three times after he gets saved, which tells me that bothered him. That stuck with him. Stephen had an impact in Saul's life, arguably the greatest evangelist of all time. Stephen gave his life at a very young age. And we might look at Stephen's life and go, wow, what a waste. He just became a Christian. He in the brand new church, and here he is dying for his faith. I mean, come on, Lord, really? Well, it might have been that death that was the very, uh, 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 you know, cellular, you know, uh, seed that germinated in the heart, the hard heart of Saul, that caused this man to look. And be willing to hear from Jesus on that day when he was knocked off his high horse. His religious, arrogant, prideful high horse on the way to Damascus to hurt more Christians. Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goad, Saul? What is it that you would want me to do? Just even in his answer, he's saying, yes, it is. So what do I do? What do you want me to do? How can I stop this thing? Well, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. I'm going to have you go into a, a house. You go into Damascus. Now, no, go into a house. It's on a house on a street called Straight. They had very original names back in that day. Straight Street. And 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 go to this house. And you're gonna you're gonna be blind for a few days. Something about blindness is that when you close your eyes. And you can't see. It knocks off one of those very powerful senses that we all have. Which then allows the other senses that you have to be a little bit more alert. And I believe that conscience that Saul had in those three days that he was blind. God was playing back through his mind all of his education, all of the way that he was utilizing his education, all the way that he was persecuting God, but now, all the way that God wants to use him even from this day forward. Ananias. God, Jesus said. He appeared to Ananias, just a Christian, just a dude, like you and I. He hears this word from the Lord. Ananias, yes, Lord. Hey, I've got a job for you. Okay, Lord, anything you want from me, I am your man. Wow, I'm hearing from Jesus. I want you to go into Damascus, okay, all right, yeah, to a street called Straight, yeah, yeah. There's a house there, okay. I'm there, I'm your man, I'm your man. There's a guy in the house that I want you to talk to. He's blind, all right. That's cool. Uh, you're going to heal him? Yep, I'm going to heal him. Well, I'm going to use you to heal him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you go in there and pray for him. And the blinders will come off his eyes. Or how will I know? Well, his name's Saul. Wait a minute. Lord, are you talking about the same Saul that I'm thinking of right now in my heart? Yep, that's the guy. Oh, but Lord, don't you know how much this guy's persecuted people? Do you know he's killed a lot of Christians? Do you really know what you're doing, God? You ever done that to the Lord? 
I want you to go and I want you to pray for him and I want you to give him his mission for the rest of his life. I'm going to take him before kings and priests. I'm going to take him before the Gentiles and he will declare my name. He's going to be my guy. All right. I'm sure with fear and trepidation, Ananias entered the house and he prayed for him, but he called him Brother Saul. Somewhere along that conversation he had with Jesus, Ananias recognized that Saul had become a brother in Christ. Saul understood the Old Testament. This is our introduction to next week, by the way. I'm done. Because, it, and, and next week, when we get into chapter one, in fact, I would have you go home and read chapter one and even into chapter two. Yeah, go ahead and read both chapters one and chapter two. Chapters two, this week. That's your homework. Because everything that I just said is going to make a whole lot of sense. Because you're going to see that Saul, he understood grace. He understood the gospel. The gospel, you you guys know what the word gospel means, right? What is it? The good news, right? It's good news. What is the law? Well, that's not necessarily good news. The law was unable to be kept. It was there. It was a standard to show us our sin before the Lord. But all that Paul knew was the, was the law. I can't, I can't measure up. And that's where grace steps in. And, and Jesus brought that grace. And through that grace, he brought peace. And you're going to see that Paul, that's how he opens up his, his conversation to the Galatians. He says, grace and peace to you. Because it's through grace in Christ that you're going to truly find peace. I never had peace. I was kicking against the goads. I was the guy that was killing people, killing Christians. I started these churches up here, and, and, and now because there's a church started in each one of these cities, because there's a church started, some of these people that struggled with the things that I struggled with, the law, they're coming into your churches because... They've gotten, they've, they've understood who Jesus is. But they've not fully comprehended the role that Christ has in their life. They don't fully comprehend grace because here's what's happening. They're Jews. They're having a hard time reconciling the law and grace and they're coming into these little cities and there's only one church and that's where they go to. And they go in there and they say, hey, listen. I know that you've listened to this guy by the name of Saul, but he's not even an apostle. I don't know why you're listening to these guy, to this guy. There's 11 other disciples, and then they actually po- appointed another guy. That poor guy was appointed, and he's never mentioned anywhere else. But Paul is. And, and, and so don't listen. Don't listen to this guy who started this church because we're Jews just like he was. We understand the law. And so here's what you need to do. You need to keep the law. You need to keep the ordinances of the law. And you also have to have Christ. And Paul's going, that's not gospel anymore. That's no longer good news. Because what these guys are doing is that they're bringing in something that is impossible to keep. 
It's impossible, impossible to be righteous enough to be right before God. It's impossibly, impossible to, to live your life in a sinless way by keeping the law. And yet that's what these Judaizers are doing. They're coming in and they're going, okay, we agree that Christ has come on the scene, but he's just an addition to. It's something that God has added on to the law. But you've got to become a Jew. You've got to become. You've got you to abide by the law and Jesus. So it's Jesus and the law equals salvation. And Paul's going hogwash. That is not true. It is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. You and I cannot earn or merit our way into heaven. It is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone by which we are saved. We cannot do it. And so we'll get into this chapter next week. But as you go home, even do it today. I mean, you, this will be kind of hot and heavy in your head today. Go home and read chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's not going to take you more than 15 minutes. And, and a lot of this is going to make sense to you. You're going to go, oh, wow. That was, that was an introduction that kind of really kind of led me up to, wow, Paul saying who he is. I'm an apostle. Not because men appointed me to be an apostle, but because God appointed me to be an apostle. This is who I am. This is my credentials. This is, who, this is what I've gone through. This is how I've done it. This is how God has spoken to me. And these other guys that are coming into your church and they're teaching you something else, let them be accursed. Let them be damned to the lowest hell. That's what the word accursed means. Let them be damned to the lowest hell. They don't have it right and they're placing a weight upon you that is blasphemous. It, it slaps Jesus Christ in the face and his death on the cross. But we'll get into chapter one next week as we go through. Uh, Galatians is a very, very important book. Know this, that the book of Galatians, out of all the epistles, it's the only epistle that Paul ever wrote that he did not give a commendation to the church. That, that resided in the area of Galatia. And so when, you, when, when he says to the churches in Galatia, as, as you understand, I want you to understand, there's churches in an area. It would be like Paul writing a church to the churches in Sarasota. Those that follow Christ here in Sarasota. This is a message to all of the churches in Galatia. But Paul doesn't give a commendation to them. Because they've allowed heresy to get into their church. They've allowed heresy so simply and easily to, to just drift in. And if he was not a good pastor, if he was a guy that was just trying to keep people, he would placate the people. But Paul was not that guy. Paul was willing to put his life on the line. He was willing to put the people on the line Watch him walk out the door. He was willing to say, what you're hearing is wrong. What you need to know out of the word of God, out of God's mouth, this is what needs to be done. This is, this is truth. What they're teaching you is wrong. What they're teaching you is wrong. And, and so that's, that's the reason I kind of opened up with, you know, it's hard to be a pastor at times. 
It's hard to have to sit there and talk to a, 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 a brother or a sister and say, hey, here's some areas. Kevin has had to do it many, many times. I've had to do it many, many times. But it, it, it's not something that's enjoyable. Man, I just, I can't wait for heaven when none of these things ever have to be brought up again. It's just going to be great where there's no more sin. Where we're not tempted. And by the way, Kevin and I are not perfect. Kevin's much more perfect than I am. But, but know this. We fail and we make mistakes too. But through the grace of Jesus, we stand. And you stand and we stand. Amen. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you, God, for bringing me home safe, my wife safe. Lord, thank you for bringing me back amongst my family. Yes, I mean, at home, yes, that's true. But here, in this church, this is my family. I love these brothers and sisters. And I pray, God, that you bless them as they as they open your word and they learn and they study themselves, as they grow themselves, as they mature themselves, God, may they grow in you and mature in you. This thing called life can get tough sometimes, God, and we need you more now than ever. It's so hard and so confusing at times with so many different teachers and pastors and pulpit mouths out there saying so many different things that it can become so difficult. But God, give us a peace that can only come through your word. God, make us students of your word. Help us to not just take at face value anything we hear from any pastor or teacher or priest or whatever they are, religious leader, or just a Christian that, that seems to know a lot. Lord, help us to dig into your word and see if what is being said is true. Because Lord, ultimately, we just are desiring to, to bless you and to follow you and to live for you. Help us, Lord, do it to achieve that goal. We are yours. We are not ours. This flock here, God, is not mine. It is yours. Bless them. Care for them, Lord. Feed them. Let them know how much they are loved. Let them know. Help me, God. As my pastor, Chuck Smith, shared with me amongst countless other pastors, help me to accomplish the goal that I always set out to do. To make this flock the best loved, best fed flock in all of Sarasota. Help me to accomplish that. Help Kevin and I to accomplish that. Help us as a group of believers as we grow together. Help us to accomplish that. To those that come in here, may they see the love of Jesus on our face. The acceptance in our eyes and our voices. The love that is just sensed in this place because God, we have been touched by you. We love you, God. I lay this congregation before you, Lord. Be with them. Lead them and guide them. Feed them. Grow them. Protect them this week. May they see your mercy and your grace in their life more powerfully this week than they have ever seen it. May they be thankful 
May they be humble before you, O Lord, recognizing that it is not about a church, but it is about you. May we, as a congregation, live for you this week, hoping to crack a smile on your face, an accepting smile. Help us not to kick against the goats, but help us to please you in our actions, our words, our hearings. Help us to be used by you this week, Lord. Use us maybe this day to touch someone. Maybe somebody that we wouldn't have normally done. God, give us the words. Give us the give us the that 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 leading by your Holy Spirit to take a step out of the box of our comfort and reach out and touch someone for you. For in so doing, Lord, we are living in our life a life of worship to you because you're worthy. Bless this congregation, Lord. Bless these people, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.